How's it going? I'm Coco. And this is Mike. And this is Rock and Vino, the podcast where we talk about wine and music and food <laughs> and how they all go so well together. You can find past episodes going live every Tuesday on the web, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, all over, all over the place, uh, rockandvino.com. This episode also featured at KSRO.com, so you can find it all over the web uh, on social media at Rock and Vino. You can like, you can like it, you can subscribe to it, and if you like it, rate it. It'd be fun, <laughs> and uh, a real a real treat this week. Uh, as you mentioned, food, and uh, we're we're going food heavy this week. Uh, one of the uh, tour de force restaurants uh, in Sonoma County is Single Thread. Uh, we did a whole episode on it a couple weeks back about what that experience is like. And uh, we have one half of the team behind it here with us is Chef Kyle Connaughton. Uh, Chef, thanks so much for taking the time to come in with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to great to see you after having you in not that long ago. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the New York Times profiled you not too long ago and said it was uh, ten years, or an overnight success in ten years, or something <laughs> like that. Uh, that th- decades was in the making. The, exactly, yeah, yeah. decades yeah. in the making w- was uh, was single thread. Uh, I guess let's start off a little bit, kind of, with your culinary background and um, you know, how you learned your craft. I guess because it's so it, it's such a very detailed, specific um, type of food that you're doing, and sort of how you learned that and where, how that came to be. Sure. Well, I grew up in Los Angeles, and uh, um, I started my culinary career there. Both of my parents are from the UK, so we traveled a lot growing up. My dad was traveling quite a bit for um, for work all, um, all the time, so we had a great chance um, as kids uh, in our family to spend a lot of time with my parents traveling. And my dad spent a lot of time in Japan in the 80s when I was uh, growing up for work, and that's kind of where my love affair with uh, Japan and Japanese cuisine really started um, there and that sort of became a thing uh, for us uh, as like a family thing was to um, to dine out a lot, to go to a lot of sushi restaurants in, in Los Angeles in particular uh, and to really sort of like explore the amazing food scene there and when we were out traveling my parents were sort of restaurant um, obsessed as well. So um, I, I started in high school, uh, my first job, uh, second oldest sushi restaurant in Los Angeles I just went in there and said, you know, I want to start learning and got my very first like, sort of kitchen job, um, uh, just very, very uh, bottom of, of the rung. Uh, and, and from there, um, you know, kept working at restaurants and went to culinary school um, in Pasadena and in, uh, in Los Angeles and, and worked and opened Spago Beverly Hills uh, with, uh, with Wolfgang Puck um, uh, back in the late uh, 90s. And worked for so many great chefs uh, um, uh, uh, there, uh, Suzanne Goyen at uh, Luke and AOC and Campanile and Ritz Carlton in Pasadena, and had this really amazing um, uh, uh, start to my career down in LA for a lot of restaurants and a lot of chefs that I, um, were just really amazing mentors. Um, I was very fortunate with, but I always had an eye on Japan. So went to Japanese culinary school, did my apprenticeship. Um, uh, in Japan, and then I was kind of focused on moving back there full time. Mm. So I uh, got a visa. I went there to open a restaurant called Michel Bras. It's a three Michelin star restaurant from the south of France. He opened his second restaurant in the North Island of Japan, Hokkaido. And I moved out there with Katina, uh, my wife, and our two young daughters at the time, and cooked for him uh, for a number of years, as well as um, uh, um, a few other more traditional uh, Japanese uh, chefs. And uh, my wife Katina started her farming career out there um, as well. So that sort of launched her farming career. And uh, and during that time, I met Heston Lumenthal, who owned uh, the Fat Duck, uh, which is a three Michelin star uh, restaurant um, outside of London. And uh, he was doing something really interesting and something really different, really delving deep into like the underlying science behind cooking and this idea of the multi-sensory approach to the dining experience. And so um, I came out in uh, 2003 to open what was called the Fat Duck Experimental Kitchen. It was the R&D arm of the Fat Duck restaurant out in Bray, England, um, as the head chef of R&D. It was kind of a new a new position there, and it was kind of a new thing in our industry to have these like R&D chefs within these Michelin-starred restaurants really focusing on developing um, the cuisine I had an amazing five years working there for Heston at the Fat Duck, and Katina continued farming in sort of countryside outside of uh, outside of London. But we always had this eye to get 
to Sonoma County, which was really where our hearts um, uh, allied and in, in, in a place that we had really fallen in love with, this area around Healdsburg. And, and so we, we, we came back to, um, to open a, a single thread, which we did in 2016. Now, how different is being in Japan and being in England, how different is the restaurant culture there from what we know here? Did that influence what Single Thread became? Sure, that's a great question. Wow, vastly different. I would say, you know, the restaurants where I was working in Japan in my in my career from my apprenticeship and then at being a, for Michelle Bra was, you know, I had these very traditional Japanese kitchens that I was working in that ran very traditional. And, you know, I was the, at the time, the only foreigner who was working in these particular restaurants some of them were very very old up to hundreds of years old and um, it really foreign chefs had not yet made their way to kind of breaking into these um, these kitchens yet you've seen a little bit more um, of it now so they're sort of opening up a little bit but you know they've always been very very tight-knit very Mm -hmm. sort of insular very sort of inwardly um, you know looking until sort of recently and so you know the kitchen culture there was um, very traditional very harsh um at times, uh, very much, uh, very slow, very uh, repetitious in terms of learning your skills, which I appreciate now, uh, you know, so much. And then working for Michel Ra, which this is a restaurant from France, who was trying to meld what they were doing in France with the all Japanese staff. So, you know, we would have one or two people out from France, and then uh, myself, and then we would have a whole Japanese kitchen. So a real melding of, um, you know, of cultures, which, uh, was great, but also at times challenging, just because the Japanese way of doing things and the French way of doing things was so very, very different. Um, and so, um, you know, uh, oftentimes trying to help be the conduit in between, you know, a Western culture and a Japanese culture, you know, from a language perspective and from a cultural perspective, you know, of which I'm not from either one of those cultures. <laughs> so, you know, always made for an interesting, um, you know, mix. And then, you know, at, at the Fat Tuck in, in the UK, a, I won't say a more European you know, approach. This was a, a restaurant that's really been known for this very sort of narrative style of um, of cooking. It's something very different, very unique, and and it had its own kitchen culture that came with it. But it was very development um, driven, very driven by understanding the underlying science. Very, very progressive. Um, you know, always trying to do something new and push boundaries and sort of change things. And that was a really exciting thing to be a part of. And then bringing it to single thread now, uh, was the concept always to have the farm component also with it as part of kind of making up the entire entirety of single thread? Yeah, I mean, that certainly evolved as my wife's farming career evolved. I mean, we've been together since we were 15 and 16 years old. So, you know, we've grown up together, too. And, you know, we've had this experiences of, you know, of, of working and traveling and living in in different cultures and we paid a lot of attention to different experiences that we were having and talking about what we liked about them or didn't like about them or you know various things that stuck out to us or meaningful um, to us and you know I always had it in my mind since really I was a kid that someday I wanted to own my own restaurant and then as Katina's agricultural career which is something initially that she fell into um, in, in Japan and then sort of Felt sort of deeply in love with and 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 really sort of passionately went in that uh, direction. She's a, a nurturer by nature, and so you know as her career evolved, it was the the farm became the natural component, and now is very much the driver of everything that we do. And um, and to bring those two things together, I mean Sonoma County for us was just like the the obvious you know place for all of that. And what uh, what about Sonoma County? Like, when did Sonoma County come on your radar since you grew up in L.A.? Yeah. And then what kind of drew you here? What's, like, what is so special about Sonoma County to you guys? Yeah, I mean, I could wax poetically about Sonoma <laughs> County for a very long time. Uh-huh. But, um, uh, but uh, you know, uh, and, I, and I love to say this is a completely true story. I mean, uh, Sonoma County and Healdsburg are such a big part of our love story, actually. I mean, we got married at 23. We were very young. I was, like, a young, broke you know, cook, uh, you know, we had our kids, uh, our first daughter very young and, um, we just came up to Mendocino to get married on, on the coast. We just wanted to get married, just the two of us. And we got married out on the Mendocino headlands, just Mm -hmm. like on the end of those beautiful cliffs that go into the ocean, you know, just the two of us. And we built our whole getting married around going to Chez Panisse 
uh, for dinner. And mm-hmm. so it was kind of like a pilgrimage from us because um, I know I was working for all these chefs in Southern California who had worked there and come down. And that was such an influential place to them and, and, and to us um, and too. So we sort of built this whole trip around getting married, going to Chez Panisse. That was the big sort of like highlight, um, you know, f- uh, for us was get, get to go and have this meal. So, uh, you know, we were driving from Mendocino, going to Berkeley. This is before the internet and, you know, phones and where you could just search, <laughs> you know, quest. where just, uh, you know, yeah, I think we probably had to even, I don't even know if we had printed MapQuest directions back then. And uh, we, um, we were just uh, driving and we, we just pulled off the 101 freeway in Healdsburg as a place to stop and get lunch. Mm. And we pulled into the town and, um, you know, into the town square and went to Oakville Grocery and had lunch and walked around town and started driving around the area in Healdsburg. And we were, you know, I, I, I just think it was just a combination of just sort of being young and being in love and sort of blissed out from, you know, getting married and on our way to Shaping East. And it's just like, you know, it just was um, uh, something that we were just like, this is it. This is the place like mm-hmm. this. We don't know what it is, you know, what it will be, but we have to be here. This is the place, um, you know, that we need to get back to. And we had a lot of things that we wanted to do in our life. And we knew that we wanted to live and work in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the idea of Europe came later. But, um, you know, we just set at that moment where we were like, this is where we come. This is where we come back to and and, and grow roots when, when we're ready. And it's just so funny that we opened our restaurant exactly one block away from, you know, where mm-hmm. that sort of realization <laughs> happened. You know? Wow. That's amazing. Now, in terms of the menu itself, uh, it sort of bringing the farming element into it, it, it it's very hyper seasonal uh, in that you know we have you know everyone here is a, knows four seasons you know spring, summer, fall, um, etc. But uh, when in terms of your farming and what you're doing on the menu, it's very hyper seasonal, like late fall, early fall. Uh, to get the freshest possible ingredients, uh, is that something that also comes from Japan? Is that that mindset from there? Yeah, I mean we, I mean we even go, on, you know, on our menus we say, you know, uh, early summer, midsummer, late summer, mm-hmm. and um, in there we always try to give the guest a real sense of not only like the season, but also just like the day, the moment. We love this idea of this, this the fleeting moment. You know, which very much uh, uh, you know comes from Japan. There's this saying; it's very f- famous in Japan, Ichigo Ichie, which means one chance, one encounter. It's really about this moment will never happen, you know, again. And so, you know, the you all just dine with you know friends of yours and kind of at a larger table, and you just know that that moment, um, you know, even the six of you come back and dine again, but it's not going to be that same moment. And mm-hmm. so, like. It's the real like capture that, you know, that moment, that experience, that day that, you know, in the floral and the ingredients and the dishes and everything that you're doing that a sense that, you know, tomorrow is different from today and yesterday, um, you know, uh, you know, things have, you know, changed even since yesterday. So, you know, that's really important to the, you know, to the experience, um, the experience, experiential side for the guests. But from us, from a farming perspective, from an, an agricultural perspective, you know, as you said, people know the four seasons but, you know, when you're a farmer um, and you're looking at things agriculturally, you know, things don't just fall perfectly into these seasons. And the way that I always talk about it is, is you know, let, let's talk about, it, say, asparagus in spring. So we all know asparagus is a spring vegetable, right? But it's not like on the first day of spring, there's the asparagus perfectly ready to go. <laughs> And then on the last day of spring, all of a sudden it's like magically disappears, right? It, asparagus is never there on the first day uh, uh, of spring. Uh, well, it may be someday uh, coming <laughs> soon, unfortunately. But, um, uh, but you know, uh, as yet, you don't have asparagus on the first day of spring. You evolve and just into the asparagus and it changes. The when asparagus comes depends on, right, the weather, the rain and all kinds of different, um, you know, uh, natural factors that we really can't control. And so when it comes at first, it's very small, it's very tender, actually doesn't have a lot of flavor. And then it grows and it becomes really flavorful. Texture is beautiful. Color is beautiful. And then if it hangs around too long, it actually start, becomes to get like very woody and fibrous hmm. and it's not really flavorful anymore. So there's, if you think of that as a sort of curve that goes up and comes back down, a sort of bell curve, the, the apex of that in Japanese is called shun. It means the, the sort of the height. 
and we don't really have a word for that in English. It's like the height at which the ingredient is at its most sort of perfect. So that window is very, very narrow. So mm-hmm. we don't have it, we don't have it, and then we have it, it's not so great, and then it's amazing, and then we still have it, and it's not so great. So we need to sort of capture things in this sort of like small little micro, you know, window of when it's at its sort of, um, you know, apex. And that's how we we look at our seasons. We break them down into much smaller increments of time. And so this idea of a 72 five-day, you know, seasons, which comes originally from sort of Chinese farmers almanac, you know, to Japan, you know, to us, you know, here in California, that's our way of timekeeping what we look year after year, season after season, how things are changing and shifting. Because this year, for example, the our asparagus harvest window was dramatically different mm-hmm. than the year before. That was because of all the rains and and the you know the colder weather that we had um, uh, this year. So uh, uh, you know that's the way that we work and think, and that's the way that we kind of want to you know express to, to you know to other chefs to start thinking more about. And with um, with Japanese culture, I mean, you're clearly like fascinated by it. You lived there for a while. Um, what about Japanese culture, cooking, all that kind of is what draws you in and makes you want to share that with other people? Yeah, I mean, so many different things. I mean, there's this reverence for the season that I was just, you know, talking about mm-hmm. this wanting to always sort of share the, you know, this, the moment, uh, you know, ev- everyone in cuisine is there is, is so... You know whether it's the dishware or the themes or the floral or the the ingredients, really, really showing you these sort of like moments in time. And sometimes on special holidays and various things, um, there are, there are dishware and dishes and certain preparations that are done only one day out mm-hmm. of the year, and then you put that away until it comes around um, uh, the next year. And and so and, and we just we really love that and thought that Western cuisine didn't really pay as much attention. Um, uh, to that on such a fine level but then the you know the the idea of craftsmanship you know of people really dedicating their whole lives to doing you know something very specific knife making or you know or cooking or flower arranging or farming and all these kinds of things there's a real reverence for craftsmanship that I think we've lost you know a lot in, in western culture and you know what in training our team you know, everyone is used to things just moving so fast at such a fast pace and don't necessarily do things with the same repetition to really gain mastery of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then hospitality is such a big part of this sort of Japanese, uh, you know, culture as well. This sort of like very open, very warm, uh, sort of very genuine, mm-hmm. um, you know, hospitality, um, you know, which oftentimes, you know, we, we see in more high-end restaurants and all kinds of restaurants is really more, you know, Western perspective is more about technical service oriented of getting things technically correct, but sometimes loses a lot of it of the human touch. And, mm-hmm. um, and we love that aspect of, um, you know, of Japan. While it's a very reserved culture, the, the hospitality is so incredibly warm. Yeah, I'm glad you made that point. I was going to say something similar to that effect that I think with fine dining, it's easy to sometimes, from on the service aspect, sort of. Uh, I don't know if stuffy's the right word, sure. but it, yeah, so you, it, it's sort of the, the who, who you feel yeah. like you're you're catering to. But I, I think what you do there is so uh, the staff is very relatable, and like even though it's in the context of this fine dining experience, it sort of still feels like you're among peers and friends, and it's um, it's I guess low pressure, I guess in that way, it's yeah. just a very comfortable atmosphere. That yeah, I'm glad I'm really glad that you felt that way. I mean, our I mean, we had the the great fortune to be able to um you know to design single thread from you know from scratch and so you know what we really wanted is we wanted guests to feel that they were coming to our home for a dinner party i mean that's what we love to do we love to have people over cook for them get around the table gather you know friends come you know in and out of the kitchen and that that sort of feeling and i think everyone loves that i mean i think Mm -hmm. That's a lot of people who are really passionate about, you know, food and experiences like that. Those are some of their best food memories, not necessarily at really fine dining, um, you know, restaurants. So we're like, how can we bring those those more human elements, those more the sort of hospitality of our home? I mean, this is our home. This is the home of a chef and a farmer. We spend more time at Single Thread than we do at our own home. <laughs> yeah. Our own home now is kind of like a place that we sleep. <laughs> you know, we spend all of our time there. And the sort of collective home of everyone who works there and 
that's why we designed the kitchen to be completely open. You know, we, we really spent a lot of time finding a team who was really passionate about taking care of people and not just about, you know, say the wine itself, but mm-hmm. about, you know, taking care of people and making sure that they have, you know, a, a, a great time, not just about that, you know, this wine is, you know, is, is great, or I think this is the perfect pairing or, you know, whatever it is, it's just like the, you know, the act of, you know, pouring wine and serving food and taking care of people and helping them celebrate. And, you know, we use this, uh, this term that also comes from Japan, which in Japanese is called, uh, it says, uh, no yomu, which means, uh, to read the air. Um, and it's another thing I think we don't have in English is just like to really understand very quickly the dynamic at a table. Mm-hmm. Are these a bunch of old friends getting together? Is this a romantic date? <laughs> is this a celebration? Is this a business meeting? Mm-hmm. Um, is this, you know, two couples where two of the spouses know each other and the other two are meeting for the first time? There's a little icebreaking that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these dynamics that happen at all the tables every single night at our restaurant and every restaurant. And, you know, you have to assess that really quickly and understand how from a service uh, side you can best, best facilitate them having an, an, an amazing, uh, you know, time. And just like if you came around to our house, you know, we would want you to be happy and comfortable and feel taken care of and, you know, that all of your dietary restrictions and allergies and all that stuff is, you know, is taken care of. That's how we want people to feel in the restaurant. It was so amazing just being able to go there and experience it. Um, just walking in the door, you know, immediately you're greeted and um, you get that really delicious, um, refreshing tea drink. Um, that was just amazing. And then escorted up to the top of the roof to enjoy that and maybe an additional beverage and just kind of check out the little garden up there and the, the greenhouse. Um, and so it was just like a very relaxing, comfortable experience from start to finish. You know, we never felt like rushed didn't feel like we were never like meant you know like not supposed to be there or whatever yeah, it was just great. really exciting and um fun and we were able to kind of as a friend our friend group just kind of like hang out and yeah. enjoy this amazing food and yeah good well i mean great. The, that kind of you know what you're describing this sort of like idea of decompression which is you know what we talk about it and you know we think quite a bit is like what is a restaurant like this what does it mean like what is it you know, I think if, you know, we're dedicating our whole lives to this. So, you know, you think a lot about that and, and you say, well, you know, what is this, what am I doing? What does this mean? What is this, what are we giving people? How are we making, you know, the world, uh, you know, a better place? And, you know, our farming practices and sustainable factory, uh, farming practices aside, um, you know, just from the restaurant experience, it's, you know, the thing that we really focus on um, and, and talk quite a bit about is, is that, you know, time is a real luxury, uh, you know, for people. And, you know, everyone lives these very busy lives and there's sort of constant pressures of constant connectivity now, you know, round the clock emails, round mm-hmm. the clock text messages, round the clock social media. And, you know, it's just sort of we're constantly inundated. We're constantly checking it. We're constantly just sort of going and sort of working and never really switching off. And we need these spaces in our lives to relax and decompress and reconnect with the people that we choose to spend time with and all of these things. And I'm not saying that that means at single they're like, you're not allowed to like look at your phone or do anything. So we want people to do whatever you need to do. You need to, you know, speak with your babysitter. You want to take photos, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, whatever it is that you do, there's no particular rules, but it's more about allowing people the sort of like the time and space to sort of decompress. And that's why up to the roof, like before you, sit down and all these things are going to be coming at you. Um, you know, sometimes you just like need 30 minutes to kind of like mm-hmm. relax into, you know, a space, you know, break the ice, get through some of that, like first sort of like chit chat for meeting with people, you know, whatever, just kind of get everyone like relaxed. And then, you know, the rooftop garden is the perfect place to do that. Get everyone just sort of like mellowed out mm-hmm. and then like bring them down for the main event. Yeah. And Mike got that Russian River, the exclusive Russian River beer. Yeah. So how did that come along? Yeah, Yeah, that's a lot of fun. I, that was, we were very, very fortunate um, that we had uh, Vinny and Natalie, the owners of Russian River Brewery, um, you know, into dine really early on. And we're such huge fans of theirs. And actually in our in-rooms, so we have five in-rooms, everything there is 
fully included. So we don't oh, nice. charge money for anything that's in there. We don't. We want people to feel like they're guests in our home mm-hmm. and not like you open up a mini bar and things cost this and things cost that. Mm-hmm. And so we, we we got Pliny the Elder in there and we were just, cause it was like the mini bar kind of thing, like the drawer of the refrigerator in there. It's just like a collection of our favorite things. And so, you know, the beer was in there and, and people were sort of like blown away. They were like, this is free. I'm sorry, I can't yeah. find any other for free here. Uh-huh. And, uh, and they thought that was the coolest thing. They're like, you're our only account that actually gives Pliny the Elder away, you know, for free. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, people who were like pilgrimaging to Sonoma County just to go there and get that yeah. beer, you know, they'd drink it and then we'd send in another one uh, and just had a lot of fun with that. So, you know, they kind of love that we did that and they came in to dine and, you know, we became friends and, and, and they've become kind of regular diners. And then, uh, you know, Vinny just reached out and said, hey, I'd love to do a beer for you guys. So we're like, oh my God, that's, mm-hmm. that is such, what a, like, what a dream. Um, uh, and uh, we were kind of like a little bit too nervous to ask if we could do some sort of collaboration um, with you. So we, uh, you know, he really thought a lot about the cuisine. We had a lot of conversations together. We tasted a lot of different beers together. Um, and then he created this sort of domesticated wild ale, which he finished with the, like this Brett finish. Um, and it kind of worked out really well that we brewed it on our first anniversary. Mm. So on our one one year anniversary day, we brewed at Russian River, and now it's now it's become a tradition. We did it on our second anniversary, and we'll do it again on our third. Awesome. And so the idea is, is every year we'll do this sort of one off beer. And he's always building these beers for us like an age, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, over time. So the opposite end are, opposite end of the spectrum from Pliny which you need to drink you know very quickly so that you know we can create this sort of like retrospective library How cool. you know tasting of the single thread Russian river beers over time that's awesome now what's the dynamic in the kitchen like on any given night because you have so many unique very specific very intricate uh experiences happening at mm-hmm. different tables how do you manage that in a kitchen setting? Because again, in there, even in there, everything seems is very calm and relaxed, mm-hmm. and everyone's sort of going about. But I'm sure in it's a sort of a, a very um, almost like an orchestra going in there. Yeah, I mean, it's good communication and organization is like where it really comes down to. I mean, we have this whole entire you know culinary team of incredible professionals, and we've really just created these systems uh, in place where we can really you know. Um, be fluid and flexible. So essentially, when guests book, and they use a system called Talk, which is kind of like essentially like you're booking a concert ticket, mm-hmm. right? And so you own that experience now, right? You're, um, and uh, and then our concierge team begins to reach out, check in with guests. What are you celebrating? Dietary restrictions, allergies, aversions, things that you like, things that you don't like. What can we do? Do you want to go visit, uh, you know, wineries? Do you want to go, you know, what? What are various things that we can do to sort of like build out this experience for you, not even outside of our four walls? And so that, you know, there's this dialogue that happens, which kind of creates the sort of the, the rapport between, you know, our guests and our concierge team. And then we get all that information. And then every day uh, we look at it actually two days before, the night before and the day of with our team when we go through all of these restrictions. And so, you know, we have a vegan version of the menu at that moment, a vegetarian version, you know, a pescatarian, mm. and then we can handle any dietary restrictions, shellfish allergies, no dairy, mm-hmm. gluten-free, whatever it is. I mean, every single night, it's all kinds of different things that people have, <laughs> all kinds of allergies <laughs> and aversions of things that you wouldn't even believe. Um, and so, you know, we, we're, we just have this sort of fluidity to everything that we do, and we have the ability to be prepared. And so, essentially, once guests arrive, you know, we know what what we need to do, and we have a menu planned out for the guests sort of individually. So we kind of have the main menu for the day, and then we have all these derivatives mm. that sort of like branch off from that. And so during the actual service, it's just really, it's sort of like following, you know, all of this uh, 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 through, and I, I, I don't know how to describe it, but we've just developed these systems around how to like figure it all out. But every day it's, uh, you know, something, and yesterday, like, for example, we're in the height of uh, summer right now, and someone had a stone food allergy. Someone had a zucchini allergy, and you know, it's like you know, sesame. These are like two of the things that are happening right now, and uh, you know, that are big on, on the menu. And you just keep maneuvering around. And sometimes we just, you know, just create a one-off unique dish. Last mm-hmm. night we did this special dish for a vegetarian who couldn't have zucchini 
uh, you know, that was based around beets from the farm and this homemade cashew cheese and black sesame. And, and uh, you know, it was like, it was on the menu yesterday and, you know, like probably never to return again. So. <laughs> now, you have something very special coming up at the restaurant, uh, August 27th, uh, waitlist only. So if you're interested in going, you, it's... Yeah, it's touch and go. Yeah. So, uh, four chefs coming in to collaborate uh, on for one dinner. How how is this all? How did it come about, and how is it all going to work? Uh, yeah, it was uh, something. So, David Kinch uh, from Manresa down in Los Gatos, uh, three Michelin star uh, restaurant, a long time, amazing. Uh, you know, one of the great uh, California um, chefs. Uh, he and I have been friends for a long time, and we've always wanted to do something collaborative together, and we're. Uh, we were both part of uh, uh, Reland Chateau, which is an international association of sort of like independent cuisine-focused uh, restaurants and, uh, and and small uh, uh, hotels. So uh, French Laundry is a part of it. Meadowood is a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but internationally, Japan started in France. It's all, all over um, Europe. So we're part of this association um, uh, together. And this year, in starting in June, um, Michelin Guide expanded it's red guide from just being Bay Area, you know, and wine country to now being all of California. So now we've, you know, we've seen uh, Michelin Guide expand, you know, from all of California, north, north to south. Uh, so we, you know, we had this just recent release of all the new Michelin uh, starred uh, restaurants. Uh, so we're doing um, a collaboration uh, of David Kinch and Manresa, along with uh, Justin Cogley from uh, Aubergine in Carmel. So. Uh, uh, it's our newly minted uh, One Mission Star restaurant in Carmel, as well as uh, William Bradley from uh, Addison uh, down in San Diego. Also just got their first uh, Michelin star. So we're all part of the Relay and Chateau um, Association. So we invited them to really sort of celebrate their new Michelin stars, which was, uh, you know, really just a great excuse to get, um, you know, four chefs, four friends together and, uh, you know, cook in Sonoma in, uh, mm-hmm. uh, in the height of summer. Yeah, when you have... For culinary minds like that, how do you divide up the menu? Or, or each is each one doing certain dishes, or, or is it a collaboration in that sense? Or how does how does that work? Yeah. So the way that we're doing it is basically we're we're doing it in since we're the host, we're doing it in the style of the single thread menu. And so the way that we do it is, is Katina sent them out the availability list of produce from our farm at that time, and uh, we say this is the format of our our menu. We're all going to collaborate on that first dish, you know, that you had with all the mm-hmm. small bites. Mm-hmm. So all of us, each one of us is doing two, two of those, and then everyone's doing um, uh, two dishes and desserts, and then then we're all doing um, uh, something for the final bites and all kind of like final sweet bites. So we can have some parts where it is really collaborative and it's the group of us, and then some parts where you can see the individual chefs' uh, cuisine and hear their voice uh, through the dishes individually. So. We just sort of set out that format and it was, you know, kind of first come, first, uh, you know, choice <laughs> of, you know, who wants to do what dishes and they start to fill in the spaces on the menu. You know, it's like we always start with like a raw, you mm-hmm. know, course, um, you know, so David Kinch jumped on that. He's doing a, um, a raw dish uh, with uh, with tomatoes and um, and then you just kind of start filling in, in, in the different dishes and then uh, and then we go last. So since we're the host, we get to choose our dishes last, and then we just sort of fill in, you know, and make sure that it's a really, you know, cohesive menu that everyone's uh, sort of cuisine and voice comes in individually. But from a diner's perspective, it also feels like a very cohesive menu. So I'm really excited about it. Now, I should have asked about this earlier to sort of set up the context. It's a, a you, you bill it as an 11 course menu at single thread, but that really undersells how many different flavors and bites and <laughs> just everything imaginable you get along the way. And you mentioned the first, um, I, I'm not even sure how you describe it, sort of the, the display, presentation. the presentation that, that you kind of enter um, the restaurant to. Uh, Where did the inspiration come for that? Is it just such a unique way to serve uh, like six or eight different bites in one one yeah, presentation. Actually, yeah, it's 14 in total. Is it actually, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. <coughs> so, um, you know, the idea for our, um, our first course, which, um, it, you know, if you haven't seen it, is basically my wife builds these uh, through the center of the table. It's built out of wood, 
uh, from our farm and some driftwood that's kind of like been fashioned together in these displays. And then it's moss uh, from our farm. And then she grows all of our floral at the farm um, as well. So she and the flor our floral team, they put together every day these sort of displays. And so the ingredients tell the story of today, but the floral in the restaurant does as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, whatever is in season on the farm from a floral perspective, and some things come from the wild as well around the farm property because we're on 180 acres there, um, get sort of integrated into this um, into this display. So visually you get a sense of like, this is the moment, uh, you know, when you watch through the display, the you know, the changing of the leaves every fall, um, you know, right now, obviously, you know, we've got all the beautiful, you know, floral of the summer. And then uh, it's uh, to start, it's 11, uh, you know, uh, small bites uh, uh, that are uh, cold. And then three more come out that are warm mm -hmm. once the guests are seated. And right before the guests sit down, we sort of build this to the center of the table. And really, it's meant to be like, this is a snapshot of today. This is like a moment in time. <clears throat> this is today on our farm and the farms around us. This is the fish that's in season. This is, these, this is the produce, you know, right now there's a lot of fruit, uh, you know, base things in there. And it's a lot of just like little single individual bites just to give you a real, you know, sense of like the moment that we're in um, right now. So it sort of serves that purpose of lots of flavors, lots of, you know, lots of small bites, really understanding that, and that dish really does change uh, every day, mm. that this is like, this is today. This is like what we're most excited about. Uh, it's a little bite of everything that we're most excited about. <clears throat> but then from a hospitality perspective, the idea with that too was, um, you know, also to help sort of break the ice, you know, allow guests to sit down and really participate in something together, a real like sharing through the center of the table. Um, you know, oftentimes in fine dining, everything is just plated individually. And so everyone is sharing an experience together, but everyone's having their own individual experience. And we mm -hmm. wanted to like get people sharing. I mean, we, the, the dining experiences that we're most passionate about are like those family style, small pates, try this, try this, oh, try this, pass this around. I mean, those are the ones that really bring people together. Mm -hmm. And so we were like, how do we bring that feeling that we love into a more elevated dining experience? And some of the dishes are meant to share, um, and, you know, to get everyone and create this sort of conversation. And if there is a little bit of like, you know, maybe tension or, you know, sort of awkwardness at the beginning of a meal for people, it allows to help just, you know, let people know that they're here to have fun. Like, mm -hmm. you know, right away you sit down and immediately you're just like, oh, this is not going to be a stuffy, you know, pretentious place where I need to like sit up straight and make sure I use the right fork. <laughs> this is a place where, you know, I'm here with, with you know, these friends for the next three and a half hours. And like, this is, this is going to be fun. So that's where that came from. Now we talked about it at the beginning. I mean, if the Michelin stars have been profiled around the world by different publications and things, I was going to ask if it, if you were surprised at sort of how quickly everything's kind of taken hold and become this thing already, but sort of in hearing you talk about it, I, I mean, I, I would think that in a way you're not surprised because you, you this, I mean, you've been building this in your mind sure. based on a couple decades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your entire experience before it. So I, I feel like you had a pretty good hold that this this concept would work, but what, what's just been your reaction to everything so far? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely the combination of the experiences that Katina and I have had over a couple of de decades. It's, it was very, I would say, very thoughtful planning. I mean, we spent two years in construction. You know, we built out an entire farm and ran it for two years before we even opened our doors to get that fully, like, like going and, and, um, and producing. Um, and, and we opened the restaurant when we were 40 years old, uh, you know, too. So we didn't open too young. We got a lot of life experience and a lot of professional um, you know, experience. And, and we just spent so much time, you know, just working on how we wanted everything to look, to feel, um, you know, the sort of multi-sensory aspects of the guest dining experience, you know, what, how they would hear things and touch things and, you know, the lighting and the music and the, you know, the design and the comfort and the height of the table relative to the chair and the furniture design itself and the comfort level. And, you know, all these kinds of things we got the chance to really spend a lot of time on thinking exactly how we wanted it to be in the cuisine and the menu and how it would unfold and 
all these kind of things. And then we hired a, an incredible team who layered in their expertise and, and, and made sure that they really understood the mission and the vision. And then, you know, watched as they then filled in all of these amazing pieces on their own, you know, as well with the wine program and the service program and all these kinds of things. And we just got a lot of like-minded people together in the room, very fortunate you know, to, um, you know, to do that. So I, I would say on the one end, uh, I think it is exactly as we had sort of envisioned, plus the, the sort of hard work and the sort of creativity and the amazing ideas that came with people who re- just elevated sort of all of our concepts and, I, you know, and, uh, and, and ideas. So in that way, I think it's as exactly as we had sort of envisioned. And on the other side, in terms of the speed in which everything has sort of like gone, the sort of like inertia, you know, that's created. I think on the one hand, it's like, you know, yes, we just sort of felt if we got that, all those things right and that sort of formula right, that it, it would sort of have that natural sort of, uh, you know, inertia to it. Um, and, uh, but I think when it comes to things like Michelin and World's 50 Best and all, you know, I think those things happened at like, you know, a very, very, you know, f- um, fast pace, which is, obviously incredible, um, but is also too, it's like there isn't, you know, for a lot of restaurants um, who have who've sort of got up, you know, uh, you know, until uh, that worked their way through their one, two, three <laughs> Michelin stars and on 50 best and all those kind of things. They've had a lot of time to really hone that, you know, for us, it's been on like fast forward. So you always have to be like constantly diligent about making sure that you just sort of like that the bones and the structure and the, and the direction that you're going is like is really um, is really really focused because things have moved very quickly. Yeah. Was that always your goal to like get the three Michelin star? Um, you know that's an interesting question because it's not why we do it. I right. mean we just we love farming and cooking and taking care of people. It's what we love to do every mm-hmm. day. We're like we're throwing a dinner party and these are the guests who are coming over tonight to mm-hmm. our house. You know like. That's the mentality every day, and I never want to lose, you know, sight of that at all. And I think if you start sort of chasing accolades and chasing certain things, you can lose sight of your own your own vision. And so, I think it's very important to always do what feels right to you. And then those other things like follow. So, you know, you have to completely all the time, you know, look inside. I mean, anytime we've ever got anything, you know, at first it was the four star review for Michael Bauer in the, the Chronicle, that was the first thing that was like major thing that happened. He had never given a restaurant, a new restaurant four stars before. And I wasn't expecting it and we were like, <gasps> and it was like, you know, it was, it was a sort of a big moment. Mm-hmm. And we read the review and we all, you know, we all like raised a glass of champagne and we toasted. And then we were like, immediately we're like, we got a long ways to go guys, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. back to work. You know, like that was the thing. It was like, don't get hung up on that. You know, it's like we, we've, we, we've got a lot of, you know, we've got a lot of ambition here. Let's continue to go. And every time it's been that way, whether it's been 50 best or the three stars, it's like we take a brief moment to celebrate and then we like make sure that we go like that moment to celebrate is now over. Mm-hmm. Now we have to look forward, like continue to move on, you know, to, to the future. So, you know, while I had the opportunity to work at, you know, at all these three Michelin star restaurants in my career and, and, I worked at the Fat Duck at the years that we had number one on World's 50 Best, and that was an incredible experience to sort of obtain that and ex, you know experience that. And while I, I had lived in that world, and so that was definitely part of the whole you know thing. I I I can't um, say that we like set that. We certainly never went to the team and we're like, guys, three mission stars. That's the goal. Yeah. Everyone just knows inherently like this is the level that we need uh, you know to be. And the fact that it came a little bit less than, you know, two years, it, you know, it was, it, it was pretty crazy. Hard work is off, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, the other thing that, speaking of like the hospitality, and I mean, really down to every detail that like our group was <laughs> was like, whoa, about, which was amazing, was, um, was your restrooms, which is... <laughs> which a lot of people, I mean, you know, restrooms right? Restrooms are a big deal. They're a big deal. Yeah. So like, I mean, literally, every little detail was like amazing in there. And then you have what the bidet, but like when you first open the door, 
I mean, the toilet comes up and it's like, you. it yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah. we're ready for yeah, you. Yeah, yes. And it's just, and every time you went in there, like it, it was as if somebody had literally just gone in and cleaned it. Does, do you have, have somebody just like going and waiting? Like, cause Absolutely. I mean, if someone <laughs> is in there every, yeah. I mean, it's, it is, I mean, I, the, uh, I love to talk about the bathrooms. <laughs> it's so the, you know, I know. Every time and Random. every person, every guest <laughs> who goes into the bathroom should feel like that they're the first ones yeah. working, you know, walking in there for, you know, for, uh, you know, for the night. I mean, we have, uh, you know, restroom ninjas who yeah. go in Seriously. there, you know, wipe down the sink, make sure everything is like, you know, is perfect so that everyone who goes in there feels like that you're not, you know, that they're, that they're going into, you know, a perfectly clean, pristine uh, bathroom. We had a lot of fun putting the bathrooms together. I mean, as you know, we lived in Japan for a long, long time, so the whole heated seat, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, automatic, uh, um, you know, t- uh, toilets there. It's like kind of a big thing in Japan, and I'm not sure, really sure why they haven't taken off, um, you know, here in the U.S. more. But you know, we have these amazing Japanese toilets in the bath, in the restroom, and as well as in the in all the hotel rooms, mm-hmm. guest rooms on the second floor, and uh, yeah, we just <laughs> we would just. It's funny because Katina and I, for so long, we know we'll be at restaurants or hotels in different places, and we'll we'll go in the bathroom together, mm-hmm. and we'll like we'll look and talk, and or you know <laughs> we'll come back and we'll talk about the fixtures, and mm-hmm. I mean we're I mean we're just crazy nerds on that kind of stuff, but you know we're always talking about you know sinks and water pressure, and you know if something splashes up or you know what you know whatever it is. And, uh, you know, we're always sort of analyzing that. And so we set a high bar for ourselves for our bathrooms. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's sort of funny because it's always the, like, the last place, you know, as a restaurant or something's, um, you know, spending money in their budget. Mm-hmm. You can actually go into some places that are pretty nice and you go into the bathroom. And since we know how, you know, development budgets and economics of restaurants work, you know, we'll, we'll go in the bathroom and be like, you know, here's where they ran out of money. You know, it's like, because <laughs> uh-huh. it's like all of a sudden you get to the end and it's time to finish the bathroom and the kitchen's done and the dining room's done and the china's been purchased and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like time to finish the bathroom and you're like, whoop, all right, value job, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yep. and uh, so it's the last place that people, you know, want, you know, want or think to sort of spend money, but it's so incredibly important. Yeah, right? it's impactful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes yeah. we have to, we're cooking for a table, and this actually happened last night. Uh, so one guest got up early on, went to the bathroom, came back, announced to the rest of the table, have you seen, you, you gotta yeah. go see the bathroom. <laughs> yes. And then when I see that happen in the kitchen, I look on their like ticket where they're at, uh-huh. because we're in the middle of like preparing food for that table, right? Mm-hmm. And then we'll just be like, all right, hold on table 17. Oh, wow. You know, it's like, because... You know, the next five minutes, it's like, check out the bathroom time. <laughs> so it's like, okay, everyone's going to be up. We can't send any food. Let's wait for that. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, Gray did that at our table. That, the like, gra- guys, that was our, yeah, he was our guinea pig. Check out the rest no, of the- no, you guys were a handful. <laughs> I bet. They stopped again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shall we uh, test Chef on his pairing? The uh, Sure. We, we close out a specific way every okay. episode. I, I hope I do this correctly. You, you, word it, you word it so much better. I've never done this before. I feel I feel a lot of pressure. So we ask, on a perfect night, what is your ideal pairing of either wine or any beverage, uh, food and music? Um, well, so, you know, we for our 11-course menu, you know, we do these pairings, which is like nine, nine pours of wine, which is really fun. So every day, right, we're thinking about the pairings of the individual you know, dishes and, you know, we run the gamut on varieties and locations, but, you know, obviously our focus is here on, you know, Sonoma and Northern California, um, you know, wine country. We really want to like turn people on to the wines here that we're so, you know, so passionate about. Um, you know, we have this amazing duck uh, here called the Duclair duck that's raised for us locally by um, the family called Oz Family Farms. And we cook it in the hearth. Very, very simple. Did you guys have duck the night that you guys were in? I no, don't we didn't. So. No, yeah. but I've seen it a lot on the menu. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's they. We don't have it every night because they raise it in such. It's a small family farm, so we we have it sort of a couple nights a week on on rotation, um, and uh, and it just the that that duck and the preparations that we build around the duck. You know, they just pair so amazingly with you know the Sonoma. You know, county, you know, pinos that were, you know, were, we're just so, you know, so in love with. I mean, there's just so many, too many to name. You know, Hirsch, 
you know, Rain. I'm a huge fan. They're not from from Russian River, but Black Kite and oh, I you know, love Black Kite. Yeah. Oh my god. So good. Anderson oh, Valley Pinos. Anderson Valley Pinos. Yes, yeah, they're please. made down here in Santa Rosa, but uh, oh mm-hmm. my gosh. So you know, the, you know these, and I think it just shows off. Uh, you know, um, you know, the, doing the duck pairing with the with the, you know the Sonoma County Pinos. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, for people who are you know such burgundy sort of like nuts. Um, you know, I love to turn them on to, you know, Sonoma County um, uh, Pinot Noir. So that's that's always like the pairings that I'm, you know, I'm most proud of. You know, the main, the um, the the music is an interesting thing in that, um, you know, we really think of like the like the music and the way we sort of orchestrate the music through there is, is like it's like a soundtrack to real life. Like mm-hmm. we're so used to music being like soundtracks to movies and playing over these things, which give a lot of context and 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 convey emotion and everything like that and i think you know the music i, I don't want to necessarily you know pick a specific uh you know song uh uh um but uh in particular uh, there's an artist in san francisco based artist named uh, taiko uh mm-hmm. who we're very close with and now working more closely with on and actually scoring the single thread dining experience oh, and a wow. lot of he's a lot of his music because I feel like it really sort of like conveys a, a certain sort of sense of place and sort of feeling, you know, into, um, you know, into Sonoma that, um, you know, it's, it's all instrumental, but, you know, has a little bit more of a sort of like some subconscious feel of, of really f- having a certain way of like feeling like it's sort of like scoring, mm-hmm. you know, your, your, your experience. Nice. Now, what about when you go home, you and Katina yeah. and you guys just want to have a relaxing night in and it's just you guys. What do we cook? Yeah, what do, what do you do? cook? What do you drink? And what do you listen to? Uh, well, um, you know, we cook a lot of Japanese food at home. My, my big passion is our uh, Japanese clay pots called donabe. Mm. A lot of hot pots you saw, um, you know, when when you came in to dine. Um, and I work a lot with this uh, eighth generation family in a place called Iga, Japan, who makes these beautiful um, clay pots, earthenware pots. So we cook a lot of. Um, uh, like simmering hot pots at home, mm-hmm. Japanese uh, um, hot pots. That's kind of our family ritual. Again, like gathering around the table and like, you know, sharing in something. That's kind of what we do, you know, as a um, as a family. But I'm gonna stick with, uh, uh, you know, Sonoma County Pinot Noir. That's yeah. what we drink at home. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, we we, drink, we love it at work. We drink it at home. It's mm-hmm. a big part of why you know we come here. It's a big part of our love story here in, in Sonoma County too. Nice. It. Been a, it was a pleasure dining, and it's been a pleasure speaking with uh, <laughs> Chef Kyle Connaughton, uh, Single Thread out in Healdsburg. If you have not been there, it's it, it's a life experience, a culinary life experience that if you get the chance to do it at least once, it, it's not to be missed. So, Absolutely. I so much. appreciate thanks you taking the time, me. and yeah, thanks again. Thanks. Thank you.